0: This is Queer Histories, Queer Futures, presented by Last Call, a podcast about queer resistance in New Orleans and the people behind the movement. I'm Free For All. And I'm Lane Kaplan-Levinson. Hey, Lane. Hey, Free. Um, can I ask you your pronouns?
1: Sure. Um, I prefer they, them, theirs pronouns.
0: Me too. Cool. Cool. I this summer, and I I think that uh, you've maybe met some people who feel this way too. I met a bunch of teenagers who liked an it pronoun, and it took a while for me to get used to it. Cause wait, I, you I, you didn't tell me this. Oh, I didn't tell you this. No. Oh, because I went to queer camp, uh, camp Trees in near Seattle, Washington, and um. There, everybody had pronoun preferences, and they were all like these uh, little thirteen-year-old tranny kids, so cute. Yeah, it was so cool, and but there was a lot of kids who liked it, and I was like, "No, you have not heard about a child called it. It makes me feel so bad for you when you say you want to be called it." But I know that, like, you know, they have different contexts,
1: right? And also, I think I have told you. That
0: that is actually my preferred <laughs> pronoun. I knew that. That's why I brought that up. <laughs> Thanks for calling me out. I know. Um, no, it's true.
1: I am all I am all about that and actually I understand why that's not what has become the predominant, like, non-binary pronoun, but I and I don't prefer it because it's more grammatically correct. I I, I just like it. Um, And it's what came to me in in kind of this fever dream of like this identity crisis. And the only reason that I haven't gone out to tell people that is I I haven't felt comfortable or really haven't had the desire to carve out this specific thing people need to remember. It's not Mm -hmm. as, as important to me, but also just shows the bravery And fearlessness of young people to not care about that. And to be like, no, this is actually what I prefer, and that's what I'm going to tell people. And then here I am, like a generation later, being like, it's what I prefer, but I'm going to go with the, you know, with they, them, because that's what people are doing. Um, So for all the people that are pushing forward the it pronoun, (laughs) (laughs) I stand with you, and maybe one day I will be brave enough as it becomes more
0: popular to claim it. In a personal and professional <laughs> setting, word
2: <laughs> blaze that trail, blaze that trail.
0: In the meantime, I'm I'm taking they and them, but I will also take we and us, Ooh. like the queen. Anyways,
1: <laughs> so yeah, so I I just want to also say I feel glad that that question of asking one 's pronouns is becoming more popular in spaces that you would expect it, and even some spaces that you wouldn 't expect it totally and so some of you know all of this business around pronouns and gender is super relevant to the stories that we 're going to hear today, right free
0: that 's right, Lane. Uh, the first piece that we 're going to hear today is about Tara Lynn Fox, who is a New Orleans native and nationally known pageant queen. Mm. Um, and the piece that we're gonna hear was produced by Natalinia Falk, who is one of Last Call's darlings. She's been part of our organization for a long time and worn a lot of hats, including uh, performing le- alleged lesbian activities. But this story is about Terilyn Fox,
1: right? So let's get to this story produced by Natalinia Falk about
0: Terilyn Fox. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're not going to hear Natalie's voice in this piece, but you are going to hear the two people who interviewed Tara Lynn, and those are Zena Aurora Ellison and Indy Mitchell. Cool. Let's do it.
3: I'm very happy that I'm able to live, to witness this time in my life where the progress that the transgender community has made or is making, because like I said, you know, we couldn't, work at your McDonald's or your Mac counter or any place like that, you just discover me, this, this whole world of being, we weren't transgender then, we were either pre or post or after transsexuals, and what happened was, I, I used to hang with a bunch of gay men, gay boys, and I felt very, very uncomfortable, because they would go to the club, and they would be twirling, and I'm like in the corner, like, you know, I did not fit in, and this friend of mine invited me to this party, and He saw I was very uncomfortable. He said, come here, I want to show you something. So he took me into his bathroom, and he sat on his toilet, and he put makeup on me, and he put a wig on me. And when I saw myself in the mirror, I just began to cry because I knew that who I was. And so from there, I just started developing, and um, I don't know how having a transgender person has nothing to do with whom you had sex with. So that was my fight. Really lose my job. I left the teaching, um, the teaching field, and what I did was I decided to, I had to find something else to do, and so I was in that period. I was starting my transition. That some people we had to go get, I forgot what they call them, they used to give them shock waves in the oh, brain yeah, and all, all that so kind of stuff. Yes, yeah. they were doing all those kind of things and all that kind of stuff, you know. That. So I was battling, and then they did the religious aspects. So I'm going through this, like, oh my God, I'm going to hell, you know, oh my God, you know, I'm doing all this. They wouldn't tell you they were HIV positive. You could tell, because the medicine they gave us, or gave them, it changed their whole physical appearance. They became darker skinned, their hair texture changed, so you knew. And when I started transitioning, we was trying to say, well, are you sure this is what you want to do? Why, girl, why are you doing this? You know, because I was a teacher, as you know, they were in a profession and stuff. But um, I don't know, I didn't have that kind of support. So I didn't have a mother. How do they have mothers and fathers today? I didn't have that. And I was introduced into this field of prostitution because once you lost your job, there was no way that, you know, a transgender person at that time could work in mainstream, you know, America. We basically worked the streets. We worked the bars or we worked in someone's hair salon. I didn't know how to do hair. But I didn't know how to work the streets. <laughs>
4: so how long were you working?
3: How long, sorry? How long did you work? About three years, because I got arrested in 85. So I taught from 81 to 83. So about 83 to 85. That's when I worked the streets. Yeah. And how old were you then? Oh God, do the math. <laughs> <laughs> do the math, you know, do the math. What so, were you born? 58
4: little the cops their relationship like with the police oh
3: my god they were notorious there was this one cop cigar joe cigar joe would arrest the girls on bourbon street he would handcuff them on bourbon street snatch up their wigs put their wigs on a mule like the, the carriages that be on bourbon street that be parked he would take their wig and put your wig on top of this mule's head and let tourists take pictures of you. Yeah, they were horrible, they were absolutely horrible. I got arrested for, I was coming out of a bar and I had these open toe shoes and I stomped my toe and my toe was bleeding, so I stopped, you know, to look at my toe, the police arrested me for obstructing the sidewalk. You no, you may have that documentation stating that you are female if you go to jail, you're gonna put in male population. Yeah. I don't understand that. Uh, just no matter so matter no matter how hard you fight and pay all this money to get that gender marker change, it's still not gonna respect you as being the woman that you say you I know. are. But education needs to be done to the, with the police department to how to handle these types of situations as they occur you know well ma'am how would you like to be addressed how would you like to be addressed instead of you know just assuming you want to call me a dude no you know and if you see me done up and just because my identification says male but who looks at that who looks at that gender marker on your identity looking at your picture the birthday so why not you why don't you address me as i present myself as and they have an issue with that and I'm sorry. And the police department is just I don't know the girl. We have always been afraid of them. Always. Yeah, a... I was transitioning and they found out I was prostituting. all these people, you know, my teacher friends, you know, my family friends and that kind of stuff. And this is one guy, he made a comment about me prostituting. And I came back and said, well, you know what? I said, well, maybe if you stop giving your ass away, maybe you could have a place of your own, too. <laughs> they fell in love with me all over again, you know? <laughs> a girl's gotta do what a girl's gotta do. you know. I don't think I was out there hurting anybody. I wasn't really out there clipping anyone or taking what was not mine. If you said $100, give him a $100. So we worked the streets. We walked, we stood on corner, you know. We walk up and down, Burby Street, up and down, Dolphin Street, up and down, just. We call that the fruit loop. You know what I'm saying? So when these two people, China, and if I got the other young lady who got murdered here, we'll see I like, like weeks back to back, they got killed. When they had gotten killed, that kind of touched me to my core because I really didn't know them. But to hear the way they were drug through the media, the way they were misidentified, and the way they were out there saying they maybe out there trying to fool some man. I'm thinking, wait a minute, that could have been me. And when they found out why I was arrested, they told me, you do not have to live like this, come on home, so I went home to my parents and wow. stayed with my parents, and they helped me. I was able to school them during my transition because, of course, we were the nastiest things on earth, you know, that was absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. I don't know how we got in this topic. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. That was absolutely amazing to me. But I'm okay. <laughs> you know, because when I moved home, my mom said, you would never leave my house dressed like that, you know. And so whenever I, I need to do a show or performance, I'm in the backseat of a car with a compact, you know, <laughs> learn how to paint in a backseat of a car. And as time went on, I got a modeling job. Um, I don't know how I got introduced into the pageantry world and stuff, you know, but I, I did the shows and for my first pageant I did of course I was disqualified because I was late. You know what they say, but it's colorful. <laughs> <You're not laughs> so, so I was As late I for was the page, you know. <laughs> I was late for the pageant and everything, you know, so I was disqualified. But then from there on I just started developing myself and started doing bar pageants and stuff and from there I got introduced into the national pageants for systems and stuff and Surprisingly, I was surprised how well my career had taken off from this.
4: What was was it what was the community like in the pageant world? Like we did
3: you find friends? It was very it was very, you know, I think with any type of business that you're in, you're gonna have competition. You know. Everyone wants to be the best and they would do any and everything to be the best. You know, they would accidentally waste a drink. On your dress when it's time for you to go on stage, you know, uh, they will let you say, you know, I remember that someone had these beautiful bracelets, and she said, one of the contestants that I brought, she said, sure, girl, and she didn't realize how heavy the bracelets were, so she couldn't even lift up her arm, so they would do kind of things like that to kind of undermine your plan and stuff, you know. Oh, and that developed later on when I got into the national level because within the city of New Orleans, there weren't that many girls that I was familiar with, and the ones that I were familiar with, they were considered to be the drag queens. There weren't any transgendered women back there that I hung with. All my friends were mostly male. They were like the, the school teachers, and some of them were um, the pharmacists, and some of them had their own catering business, but they worked on the day. Was this black ball, there was this crew. The crew was called Polyphemus, and Polyphemus was the first crew that allowed black girls and black men to enter the organization. And then some kind of way, the crew separated, and then it came up, the crew called the Crew Window, And that was a black crew, where all the members were black, the lesbians and gays, I was in it, so I don't know what they consider me, but anyway. <laughs> didn't recognize our beauty, you know, at that time. So, you know what? Let's start a system that's going to recognize and celebrate our blackness. So I can understand that. So I'm have doing, like, local bar pageants from so when I moved up to the national level and won Miss Louisiana in 1991. And then from there, I went to Miss Gay Yusuf Bay, got third runner-up. So for the first time, you know, out of the water, you know, it was doing pretty good. And, um... So I started doing bar pageants and stuff, and from there I got introduced into the national pageantry systems and stuff. And surprisingly, I was surprised how well my career had taken off from there, you know, um, because I guess people say I had this gift or this act, you know, for the stage and everything, and so all became accepted and just started doing the pageants and winning. I think the human rights campaign, they had a convention here one year, and I didn't go until then I was invited. And I said, I'm not going because at that time, it was just LG. You know, so I said, well, what about girls like me? I did not fit into that. And they told me, after we get our rights, then we can add, You oh, win. Wow. One time I was even part of the mayor's advisory committee when I lived in um, Orleans, Paris. Mm. I think it was on the Morial the administration. Um, they were trying at that time, but it's like it was like a fight. What that was that experience
4: like? It was like, a fight. <laughs> it was a
3: fight because they had other issues they thought were more important, you know. And they probably were, you know, at that time because it wasn't in the forefront of them to try to get these issues done and, you know, um, the assistance that's needed, you know. So like, when were you doing that? Oh God, When I was with Ed. Maybe in when I was Thomas, Miss Louisiana, 89, 90, mm-hmm. somewhere around that time, I think so. Mm-hmm.
4: And did they like ask you to be on the thing yes. because of the pageant yeah. stuff? Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. And you would just like go to meetings and.
3: Just sit there. <laughs> you know, it's like I didn't have a voice, you know. The progress that the transgendered community has made or is making because like I said, you know, we couldn't work at your McDonald's or your Mac counters or any place like that, you know? And to see my sisters doing that, that makes me so, so proud, you know, to be able to witness that. So yeah. but no I don't think there was a resistance or anything because like what was that resist could be more strong enough or a force to to stand up against anyone you know, against the police brutality back then, you know, what could we possibly say? What could we possibly do, you know? Um, oh so no, I can't think of any resistance that we had. You know.
4: And that's why I would say like you here now at 59 and like having like different career options mm-hmm. and like different, I think that is resistance. Like that is an example of resistance because like, you didn't get killed. <laughs> like, so I
0: never know you're here. About that, Yeah. And like, yeah. And also, like, and
4: you're not working in the streets anymore. You found a new, or, or just like some road, some route that's that's working for you. That's mm-hmm. got you sustaining on your own. That's got you standing mm-hmm. on your own two feet with your own house, your own everything. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like hard. Like everyone doesn't get to do that. You know? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. like a lot of us are trying to figure I'm out how to do that. Soon, just like when I think about like you know, the average lifetime of a black trans woman. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, to actually meet like other black trans women sometimes it just feels like, whoa, mm-hmm. you know, like, like I could don't get there, yeah. there
2: one day.
3: Hi, my name is Carolyn Fox. I'm born and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana. I attended um, John James Audubon Elementary School. And from there, of course, I attended high school, received my high school diploma. Um, went to the University of New Orleans where I received a degree in speech education. I taught school for two years, which were the worst two years of my life. won this pageant called Miss Essence Classic, and then from there I went to Miss Continental where I won Miss Continental Elite. What else can I say about myself? What else do you want to know? <laughs>
0: Born under the astrological sign of Leo the Lion, Miss Fox is a native New Orleanian and an entertainer, model, actress who has perfected the art of illusion through 20 years of experience. Miss Fox has appeared at various casinos and clubs on the gay cabaret circuit throughout the United States, as well as appearing on national television, music videos, newspapers, and magazines, and the cinema.
1: That's definitely the only way you could read that fabulous bio. It's so luxurious. Which is a word I really don't say often, but that is maybe the most fabulous bio ever. It's so fabulous. Oh my gosh. She's a badass. She's a badass. Uh, As is the the person who produced this piece, Mm -hmm. Natalie Nia Falk, who was born in Lafayette, Louisiana, and is a self described. Ebony Southern Bell, also bringing the fabulous to the table. Mm -hmm. Her work consists of leadership development, performance, and healing and wellness practices. Natalie also works with the Southern Organizer Academy, which is a leadership development and capacity building pipeline, and they are currently accepting applications. So if you want to find out more information, go to southernorganizers.org or email them at soa at southernorganizingacademy.org. Okay, so this next story comes from a live storytelling event that I host here in New Orleans. It's called Bring Your Own. And the way BYO works is that each time we hold an event, we partner with a community organization and we plan an evening of stories based on the work and mission of that group. So BYO and Last Call have actually teamed up before. Um, Maybe if you're listening, you were actually there. We had this awesome event in May of 2017 where folks told stories on the theme Sugar in Your Tank. It was really great. Free told a story. I co-hosted. Natalie Nia Falk co-hosted with me and told a story. Kind of full circle there. But um, you can hear some of those stories if you go over to the BYO website at bringyourownstories.com. But anyway, this story that you are about to hear didn't come from that event. It came from a different Bring Your Own with a different collaboration uh, with my dear friend and colleague Eve Abrams, who is another radio maestro in New Orleans. Eve has a podcast called Unprisoned, and it's all about the impact that mass incarceration in Louisiana has on people in and especially outside of jails and prisons. Her Her show focuses on the impact on the outside. And so through her reporting, Eve has met a ton of people that have friends and family and loved ones um, who are locked up. So out of that, we decided to do a Bring Your Own Storytelling event that highlighted the stories of young people, um, mostly high school and college students who could share stories on the theme that we called Heard, Why the Young Feel Old. So young people told stories about how even though they're young in age, they often feel old due to really challenging life experiences. This story was not only one of my favorites of the evening and one that I still listen to and one that I share with people, it was also the winning story of the evening, which means everyone loved it. Uh, It's told by a girl named Jewel Williams, who, when she told the story uh, at the time, was a sophomore in high school and is now, uh, as we were just texting earlier, uh, ferociously studying for midterms in college. So go Jewel, you're going to do great. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but here is Jewel explaining how none other than Sir William Shakespeare helped her come out to her parents.
2: This is a story about my current girlfriend, William Shakespeare, and me telling my parents. Me and my friend Timberly, we were great friends ever since she started high school. She was the openly gay freshman and I was the secret pansexual sophomore and we, we hung out a lot together. She was the one person that knew about my little secret. It was this particular day while we were outside, we were in the park. My mom came to get me and she went, Joel, as soon as you get home, call me immediately. I was kind of scared because she tells me everything to my face, even little, small little things. She'll be like, you have to wait till tomorrow and I'm going to tell you tomorrow. (laughs) I'm like, so as soon as I get home, my mom drops me off and she's like, I'm going back to work. And I'm like, who cares? Don't care. I'm going in my room. So I run into my room and I'm pacing the room, scared. It rings three times and then she picks up. I jump on the bed and she's like, hello. And I'm like, what's up? She's like, how are you? And I'm like, I'm great. She's like, good. Did you eat? I'm like, what? Just, I'm like, why are you stalling? Just tell me. She's like, okay, okay, okay. So, um, she's stuttering and everything. She's like, um, you're a very great friend and you're so lovely, you're a lovely girl and, and I just was wondering if you would like to be my girlfriend. So, I'm just sitting there in bed. I didn't want to seem way too eager, so I gave it a little second. <laughs> so, I just was sitting there on the phone just smiling like, Oh my gosh, like she asked me out just now, I'm so flattered. And then she goes, Jewel, are you there? I'm like, yeah. She's like, what do you say? I'm like, um, sure, I would love to. So 10 seconds pass by, we celebrate together and she drops the parent bomb on me. She goes, Jewel, I really like your parents and your parents really like me. I think it'll be respectful if we tell your parents. I said, oh, I'll think about it. This was my plan. My plan was to continue to go, I'ma think about it every single time she asked about it because I didn't want to tell her no. So I was gonna continue to go, hey Jewel, did you think about it yet? Oh, I didn't make a decision yet, I'm sorry. And I was gonna, until she forgot. That's what was my plan. So the next day in English class, it was a simple little book report, read a book, do a project on it, simple. I picked a book about William Shakespeare because of my love for William Shakespeare. I got to the section where William Shakespeare falls in love with this person named Henry. I'm sitting to myself, I'm re-reading, rereading the page, and I'm like, I know girls ain't named Henry back in the day. It can't be. So it dawned on me that William Shakespeare was bisexual. I was like, Ugh. So I was, I'm feeling excited, sitting in my chair, bouncing around, you know, not even reading anymore like the rest of the class. I'm just happy I got a connection to William Shakespeare. Yay. Then it, I'm like, well, if I still love William Shakespeare, and so many other people love William Shakespeare, why can't my parents still love me if I tell them about myself? So that particular day, I said, Tim, I'm going to tell them as soon as I get home. So my mom gets home at about 8, 8.30 from work. She takes about... 20, 30 minutes to take a shower, get in bed. They leave the door open until 9.30. When 9.30 hits, they close the door, and that means we're sleeping, you should be too, don't come in here, don't even knock, unless it's an emergency. And if you actually knock and it's not an emergency, you're gonna, you're gonna get it. I walk in there. I sit on the edge of the bed, and I said, Mom, and Dan, I gotta tell you something. They pause their TV, and they go, what's up? Um, you know, Tim asked me out, and uh, um, I said yes, and I just wanted to tell you guys. I was ready to get up and leave, but I was like, I could not describe the, the, the face that they had, their jaw dropped, their eyes. When, when did this happen, my mom asked. I'm like, um, a few days ago, um, the speech started. We don't agree with this. We don't agree with that. You know we don't like this. Didn't I tell you that you're not supposed to let her change the way you feel? I'm just sitting there like, oh, yes, I understand. Blah, blah, blah. I'm on of tears. I'm about to cry. I'm like, because I want them to feel bad for me, first of all, and second of all, I'm (laughs) like, I want them to be like, oh, our daughter's sad, so we're going to change our opinions. That didn't happen, of course. And so they continue to go on and on and on about Tim and me, and then Tim, and then me. Then 9.30 hit, told you about 9.30, time to go to sleep. They say, all right, Joel, it's time to go to sleep. I planned on crying as soon as I walked out the door, but then she called me, she said, Joel, I said, what? She's like, first of all, don't answer me with what? And I'm like, all right, huh, huh? She goes, just because we don't agree with what you're doing doesn't mean we don't love you at all. And if Tim makes you that happy, then go ahead and do it. I'm like, all right, all right, I'm going to do it. Honestly, walking out of that room, I didn't feel older, but I definitely felt a lot more mature walking out of that room, being able to accept their opinions that weren't the same as mine, but being able to still love them as much, even though they had different opinions than me.
1: That was Jewel Williams, who told this story on July 28th, 2016 at the Homer Plessy Community School. And uh, it was later produced by me, Lane Catherine Levinson. The theme of the event, remember, was Why the Young Feel Old. And that event was in partnership with Eve Abrams' Unprisoned Project. Unprisoned Stories from the System, is produced by Eve Abrams and brought to you by New Orleans Public Radio and Finding America, a national initiative produced by AIR, the Association of Independence in Radio, Incorporated, and with financial support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the Wincote Foundation, the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thank you, Jewel Williams.
0: This project was created in partnership with the New Orleans LGBT Center and Alternate Roots through an Alternate Roots Partners in Action grant and through a network of Ensemble Theater's Net10 Exchange grant. Additional funding from the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Foundation.
1: Last Call is fiscally sponsored by the National Performance Network. Uh, love you free. I love you, Lane. And you know, dear listener, we love you too. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening. We only have one message to leave you with. And that is, until next time, stay stay gay. gay.